are listening to the Calvary Church Podcast, where each episode features a life-transforming message that was previously recorded in one of our services. And now, let's join a service that's already in progress. I don't know entirely why, but I feel compelled to keep preaching on faith. And I have this sense that God is working on some of us individually, me included, and on us collectively as a body of believers. I believe God is trying to add to our faith. I want to simply try to unpack an idea about faith today, and I want to use two words for our title this morning, I believe. I believe. Can you say that today? I believe. I hope you mean that today. I believe that God has the ability to do the miraculous. I absolutely have confidence that God can do anything. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above all, we can ask or think according to the power that works in us. God is able to do beyond what we can ask or think. I believe that God is able. Even last night I received a prayer Request And as we were praying and agreeing together, I received a, a message right back that said God had touched their body immediately. They felt better. They felt God touched them. I believe in the miraculous power of God. Amen. I believe in this room today that God can intervene. God can move in our lives in supernatural ways. But the question I feel compelled to ask this morning is why does God perform miracles? Why does God perform miracles? I want to answer this first by saying why I don't believe God performs miracles. I don't believe that God performs miracles just to keep people alive indefinitely. One thing all of the apostles have in common, not to be morbid, but all the apostles died. God could have kept the apostles alive indefinitely. I don't believe that's why God performs miracles. I don't believe God performs miracles to make everyone just feel better. I don't think that he performs miracles just to make everyone feel comfortable in their life. That's kind of difficult to hear, but... I believe Jesus performed miracles. And dare I say why he still 
performs miracles today for one reason, so that people will have faith to believe him for salvation, so that people will come to put their trust in him for their salvation. John said, and truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life in his name. Jesus performed miracles so people would believe that he was the Messiah and that he would give them eternal life. It wasn't just so they could feel better in this life. The intention of the healings, the intention of the miracles was so that they would come to believe and those who would see the miracle would come to believe that he was the Messiah. And I do not believe that Jesus performs miracles today just so you and I can feel better, so we don't have any pain in our body. But I believe that he performs miracles today so that someone would come to put their faith in him and believe that not just that he is a healer and that's a wonderful thing, but to ultimately put their confidence in him that he is the redeemer of the world, that we can put our confidence in him, not just in the temporal, not just so that he can repair my body in this life, but that he can give me eternal life so that he can give me a hope that supersedes anything in this life. It's not so I can just have a good life, just so I can live pain-free in this world. No, the intention, I believe, of Jesus performing miracles is so people can come to put their confidence in him. What does it take for us to believe that Jesus is the Messiah? If that's the ultimate, if that's the ultimate reason why he performs miracles, what will it take for us to believe that he is who he says that he is? What will it take for me to put my complete trust in him? What will it take for me to serve him more than just an hour on one day of one week? What will it take for me to surrender everything I have to him and believe that he is the savior of the world? As we have been watching the Chosen series in our life groups, I hope you're a part of that and are enjoying that. I was struck by a scene in episode six. It showed the miracle of the paralytic man who was lowered from the roof by his four friends. And as the scene unfolded, I was struck in my heart with this question. Do miracles have an expiration date on them? Do miracles have an expiration date on them? In other words, how long does a miracle of healing last? 
so that I will believe that Jesus is who he said that he is. How many miracles do I have to watch? How many times do I have to watch healing in order to really believe that he is the Messiah? I guess it struck me in that story and that episode stood out to me because when I was a child in our little church in Canton, Ohio, as the church Sunday morning service was going on, there was a lady who was sitting in a wheelchair over off to the side. And just while worship service was going on, that lady got up out of her wheelchair and began to walk across the front. What a powerful, amazing testimony. My thought for myself was, how long is that miracle working in my life? How many more miracles do I have to see in order to say that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God? What would it take for me to really believe? And I throw that question back on you. If God's going to pick on me, then bless God, he's going to pick on you too. How much... How many miracles do you have to see? What does God have to do in order for you to just have absolutely, absolute confidence that he is who he said that he is? I don't know. I I would like to see a show of hands. How many have ever seen God perform a miracle? You've seen something. Raise your hand real high. All right? We've got quite a few in here who have seen a, a literal miracle from God. And maybe you're like me. Maybe sometimes miracles seem to have an expiration date on them. That we go through times in our lives where we forget about what God has done for us. Or we forget about what we've seen. But I want to tell you today that the miracles that God does in our life is not just so we can live a happy life. It's so that he can receive glory so that people will put their trust in him and believe him for their salvation. Well, hallelujah. God demonstrates miracles to point us to his real work. God demonstrates healings to point us to his real work. Miracles are a physical sign of a spiritual reality. Miracles Healings are a physical sign of a spiritual reality. And can I tell us today that these miracles are not demonstrations of salvation. When someone is healed of a physical ailment or God performs a miracle on your job or makes a way out of no way, it's not a demonstration of your salvation, but rather physical manifestations of God is to point us to God's ultimate spiritual power. Healing is not the the apex of God's power. Miracles are not at the top of what God does. 
Let me tell you today, there's something that supersedes miracles. And we should not base our feeling about our relationship with God, about whether or not he heals us. We should never base God's love for us on whether or not he heals us. We should not base the strength of our relationship with God. Whether we are a person of faith or not, based on whether or not God performs a miracle or not. Jesus performed miracles for one reason, so that people would believe that he could save them from their sins. The apex of God's power is not physical healing. The apex of God's power is that he can forgive us of our sins. Oh, hallelujah. Healings and miracles were intended to cause people to believe that he was the Messiah, not just that he was a healer. So when the man was lowered down from the roof, by his four friends. The crowd had gathered. They were pressed. And they were watching as he was lowered down. And Jesus, in verse 5 of chapter 2 of Mark, it said, Jesus saw their faith. And he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven you. And some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts, Why does this man speak blasphemies like this? Who can forgive sins? But God alone. But immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they reasoned thus within themselves, he said to them, why do you reason about these things in your hearts? And he asked this question, which is easier. To say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven you. Or to say, arise, take up your bed and walk. Which is easier. Then he said, but that you may know that the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sins. So you would know. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, arise, take up your bed, and go to your house. He was telling them that so you could believe. So you would believe that he had the power to forgive sins. I'm going to heal this man. It wasn't the reverse. It wasn't the reverse. It was healing showed and demonstrated that God could forgive his sins. By healing him of his condition, he showed them his Ability. Everyone say ability. But by forgiving the paralytic man his sins, Jesus showed them his priority. He showed his ability by healing him. He showed that he had ability to overcome any physical condition. He showed his ability as the creator of the universe, but he showed them his priority. And what is God's priority in our life? 
I tell you, it's not just physical healing. God's priority is so that you and I would come to put our faith in Jesus Christ and be forgiven of our sins. And Jesus said, this is the priority. This is why I showed up. He said, I have come to seek and to save that which was lost. That's why when Jesus was born, the angel said, she will bring forth a son and you can call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. Oh, hallelujah. And I want to help somebody understand something important. The greatest miracle in your life is not a healing. The greatest miracle in your life is not a healing. It is the fact that God would forgive your sins. It's the fact that God would say, I will come to the world so that you can have eternal life. I will come to the world so I can reconcile humanity back to God. I will come into this world not to just give you a temporary fix for a human condition. No, I'm going to give you an eternal fix. I'm going to forgive your sins. And so that's why Jesus came, preaching the gospel, preaching the death, burial, and resurrection, preaching that he had come to set the captives free. Oh, hallelujah. Why did Jesus die? So that you and I could repent of the sins that were holding us back. And if you haven't repented of your sins, if you haven't acknowledged your sin, today's a great day to say, I believe. I put my confidence in Jesus Christ. I encourage you to repent of your sins today. And the Bible tells us that we are to be buried with him in the waters of baptism. Why was Jesus buried? Why would he go through all of that on the cross so that you and I, could accept that forgiveness. And the Bible says when we are baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we do it for the forgiveness of sins. We take on his name in baptism and we enter into a covenant of forgiveness with him. And if you have not been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I encourage you today, believe. Believe. And he says that when he resurrected from that tomb, that he gives us resurrection power, that he will baptize us with his spirit, like a vessel, like a a, a container. His spirit comes to dwell in us. And let me tell you something. I personally believe that the spirit of God that comes in us, that we receive with the Bible says the evidence of speaking in other tongues or speaking in a heavenly language, when that comes into us, it's God's acknowledgement that he has forgiven us of our sins. I do not believe that the Holy Spirit can dwell in something that's unholy. So when the Spirit of God is poured out on us, it is the acknowledgement that he sees us as forgiven. He has forgiven our sins, and that's the reason he came. And so you and I have have the opportunity every day to allow the Spirit of God to dwell and work in us. That's the apex 
of what God does in our world. That's the greatest miracle that you and I could ever have on this life. Why? Because it prepares us for the next life. The Bible says that we're going to be resurrected out of here. Why? Because of the Spirit of God. I'm not being resurrected out of here because my body is fully intact. I'm not being resurrected out of here because all of my physical uh, issues have gone away. That's not why I'm being resurrected out of here. I'm leaving this place because a holy God decided he was willing to forgive my sins and save me from myself. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. When we read the Old Testament or the New Testament accounts of healings, we see not just God's ability to heal, but we see God's priority to save. God has a priority, and it's to seek and save the lost. And the question I keep coming back to myself is, when am I going to be convinced of that? What do I need to really convince myself that Jesus died on the cross for my sins. At what point will I believe? Over the last few months as we've been in this kind of COVID protocol, I've watched little children in our church begin to experience the power of God. They have been praying crying out to God, experiencing the love and the the presence of God in such a powerful way. And I want to tell us today, that's an important picture for you and I. In Mark, it tells us in chapter 10, verse 13, that they were bringing children to Jesus that he might touch them. And the disciples said, stop bringing the kids. But when Jesus saw it, he was indignant and said to them, let the children come to me. Do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. That we cannot receive and we cannot believe the way God wants us to without a childlike faith. Kids by nature believe what you tell them. And that's a great responsibility for parents. They don't have to see it to believe it. They just believe. It's what the Christmas movie Polar Express is all about. Children by nature, believe. But as we get older and we start to understand things better, we stop just believing and we start requiring more and more evidence. And like the Polar Express, the bell stops ringing. We can't hear it anymore because we demand evidence. In Hebrews 11.1, it says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The New Living Translation says, faith is the confidence that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. As I mentioned a few weeks ago, it would be Thomas the disciple of Jesus who would refuse to believe Jesus without evidence. 
He had witnessed miracles of Jesus. Think about it now. He had seen Jesus perform amazing miracles. The feeding of thousands, the raising up, the opening of blind eyes. But those experiences, those healings, those miracles had an expiration date. All of those miracles didn't seem to mean much when Thomas was faced with something that wasn't expected. When he was faced with failed expectations, he was lost. He couldn't reach back and hold on to those miracles. They were gone. And so he chose not to believe. And so it says that he said, unless I see his hands, unless I can put my finger into the prince of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were inside and Thomas with them. Jesus shows up in the middle of the room, verse 27, and he said to Thomas, reach your finger here, look at my hands, reach your hand here, put it in my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Blessed are those who have a childlike faith. Blessed are those who haven't seen all the miracles, haven't had to have all the evidence, but yet they say, I believe. I believe. I'm going to believe him at his word. And so the apostle Paul would say, we walk by faith and not by sight. I hasten to a close. When Jesus came back to Cana after he had turned the water into wine, he comes back to Cana and a man comes running to Jesus who had a sick son, and he begged Jesus to heal his son. And Jesus is going to heal his son, but he wants to bring clarity to the situation. And so Jesus said to him, unless you people see signs and wonders, you will by no means believe. Isn't that quite the statement that they were requiring someone to give them a sign or wonder in order to believe? I thought about that about my own faith. What do I need God to do? Might I say, for me, what more do I need God to do in order for me to believe? We get this idea in John chapter 6. Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee in verse 2 of chapter 6 of John. He said, a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs. Now, I'm not going to 
put people on blast today. But I understand that if we bring somebody to the church who is known for signs and wonders, the church fills up in a way that it doesn't on other Sundays. That's just the nature of the beast. Because we look for that, we want that. And so they, they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased, so they began to follow him because of his miracles. And so he went into a mountain, and there he got with his disciples, and it was on that mountain that he fed them 5,000 loaves and fishes. An incredible miracle. And so then on the next day, they, he had left and they went searching for him, trying to find him. And they said, Rabbi, when did you come here? Because he went on the other side of the sea and Jesus answered them, most assuredly I say to you, you seek me, not because you saw the signs and believed, not because what I did convinced you to believe, but you're chasing after me because you ate of the loaves and were filled. That the miracle satisfied you, but it didn't move you to belief. And so it says, they asked the question, what shall we do? That we may work the works of God. How can we do these kind of things? And Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God that you believe, that you believe in him whom he sent. Therefore, they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? They had just seen him heal disease. That's why they were following him. They had just experienced the feeding of the 5,000 but yet they go, what sign are you going to give us so we'll actually believe? Jesus gets into this discourse with them. They said, our father ate the manna in the desert as it was written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. And Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, Moses did not give you the bread from heaven, but my father gives you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he who comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. Then they said to him, Lord, give us this bread always. And Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. The whole point of it, Jesus was trying to get them to a point of belief. Oh, hallelujah. So as I conclude today, I'm reminded of the great miracles of Scripture. I'm reminded of the gospel writers who talked about different healings, and in particular, I want to conclude today with the healing of one blind man. In John chapter 9, said as Jesus passed by, he saw a man who was blind from birth. That's not insignificant. His disciples asked him, Jesus' disciples asked him, saying, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born 
blind. Why is this man born blind? Was it his sin of his mother or father? Isn't it interesting that they knew that he was blind because of sin? They had filled in the blanks. They knew why. They just didn't know who it was. Sin was the reason. But where did the disciples get that reasoning? They would have gotten it from the Pharisees that taught them. And so Jesus said, no, the parents' sin was not why he was blind. Jesus said, neither this man nor his parents' sin, but the works of God should be revealed in him. So Jesus, when he had finished correcting his disciples, he spat on the ground. He made clay with saliva, and he anointed the eyes of the blind man with the clay, and he told him to go wash in the pool of Siloam. It's translated sent, so he went and washed, and the man came back seeing. What an incredible miracle. And everyone who knew this blind man were amazed. How could this be? What has happened? And so they ask a very legitimate question to the man. They said to him, how were your eyes opened? And he said, well, a man called Jesus made clay, anointed my eyes, sent me to this pool of Siloam and to wash. And so I went and washed and I received my sight. So they ask, I, I, we want to see this man. Do you know where he is? And they said, I, he said, I don't know. So then they brought him to the Pharisees. They're going to provide the excellent explanation of this all. So the disciples asked him, how did you receive your sight? And he said, he put clay in my eyes and I washed and I see. Just the facts. Of course, this did not sit well with the Pharisees because... It was as if this man, Jesus, was claiming to be God. So the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he did not keep the Sabbath. You see, he performed the miracle on the Sabbath, a sacred day. How can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was division among them. But what's interesting is they knew. They knew why he was blind. Why was he blind to them? He was a sinner. They knew why he was blind. They could point out his sin, but they couldn't figure out why he was healed. Because in order for him to be healed, he had to have forgiveness of sins. See, in their mind, his, the sin was the issue. And the only way to be healed from this blindness caused by sin was for that sin somehow to be forgiven that would allow him to be healed. They could identify his sin, but they couldn't identify how he had been forgiven. And the blind man, again, said, I, I don't know. He opened uh, my eyes. He's a prophet. But the Jews, in verse 18, did not believe concerning him that he had been blind and received his sight. They, they were thinking, no, this guy's making up a story. And so they ask his parents, saying, is this your son who you say is blind? How then does he see? We've got to know. There's no way. There's no way that he could be able to see. 
There's no way he could have been forgiven. Isn't that the way people are? They are comfortable with you in your blindness, but they get flustered when you start to see things the way God intended you to see things. They're comfortable with you, and they can tell you why this has happened and that's happened in your life, but the moment you start to be different, people start getting uncomfortable. And his parents answered them, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. That's all I can tell you. We're not going to be able to tell you a whole lot. They said they were afraid. So his parents said, go ask him. He's old enough. He can answer the question. So they came to him and said, would you give glory to God? There's no way that this man healed you. We know this man is a sinner. And he said, whether he is a sinner or not, I do not know. One thing I know, that though I was blind, Now I see. I can't give you the physical reason why I'm healed. I can't tell you what happened in my eyes. I can't even tell you a theological reason why I was healed. All I know is that one moment I was blind and the next moment I could see. How many of you have ever had that experience? You walked into the house of the Lord and you had shame and guilt and all kinds of mess in your life and you walked in one way and you came to an altar. You couldn't explain it theologically. You went down in the waters of baptism. You couldn't explain it in a spiritual context. But all you knew is one day you walked this way and the next day your eyes were opened. Oh, hallelujah. Oh, hallelujah. You see, Jesus heard them, and he said, he said to them, do you believe in the Son of God? He asked the blind man, because the blind man got kicked out. He said, do you believe in the Son of God? And he answered, who is he, Lord, that I may believe in him? And Jesus said to him, you have both seen him, and it is he who is talking with you. Then the blind man said, Lord, I believed, and he worshiped him. The whole reason for the miracle was not to prove that Jesus was a healer and that he was. It was to prove that he had the power to forgive sins. And so he challenges those Pharisees. He says, for judgment I have come into the world that those who do not see may see and that those who see may be blind. Then some of the Pharisees who were with him heard these words and said to him, are we blind also? They were putting it in context now that there's something they're missing. And Jesus said, if you were blind, you would have no sin. But now you say we see. Therefore, your sin remains. Why was he saying that? He's saying it takes a childlike faith. Because you demand all this evidence, everything to be in a box in order for you to believe, you actually can't see. But if you would believe, if you would trust him at his word, he said you will be able to see. Our real issue 
It's not our physical condition. Our real issue is our spiritual condition. I want you to stand with me this morning. I absolutely believe that God can do anything in this room. I believe that healing is possible. I believe miracles are possible. But this morning I felt compelled to just push some of you, to nudge some of you. Simply believe in Jesus. Not because he's performed all these miracles in your life and finally you can have the evidence. But to say, God, I believe that you have forgiven my sins. That you're more than willing, if I will confess my sins, forgive my sins. And the greatest miracle that could happen in this room today the greatest miracle is for somebody to allow God to forgive your sins. Now we would shout, and we love to shout on physical healing, and we will. I'm thankful for the healing last night. I'm thankful for the healings to come. But the reason they come is so that God would receive glory so people would believe in him as the savior of the world. And that's why when you and I are healed, when you and I experience a miracle from God, it's so vital that we declare what he's done. Because it's intended in your life to bring you and the people around you to a point of belief in him. Today I choose to believe. What evidence do you need? I conclude before I pray for you this passage where Nicodemus is sitting across from Jesus. We watched it in episode 7. And Jesus said, as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. That's why we're here today because God wants to forgive your sins. This podcast was brought to you by the Calvary Church in Cincinnati, Ohio. For more information about the Calvary Church, please visit our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Consider joining us for a service where you will find friendly people high-energy music, and life-transforming preaching and teaching from a biblical worldview. You can find our podcast on iTunes, Google Play, 
or on our website at www.thecalvarychurch.com. Until next time, thanks for listening.